Hello everyone, and welcome back to the San Juan Snowcast. I'm your host, Chris. Today is Wednesday, December 1st, and this is Episode 7. Well, holy smokes, folks, it's December. I hope everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving holidays. With the depressing state of affairs in the San Juans, I headed out to the desert and spent the whole week soaking up as much of that sweet November sunshine as I could. Turns out, conditions are still primo for biking, climbing, and running, just as long as you stay directly in the sun all day and wear your most gigantic puffy jacket all night. While I was gone from the wands, not too much changed here. We've just had another two weeks of sunny skies and dry days. 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 Come on, Uller. What have we done to offend you? Was it the new skis? Or the fact that I actually followed a training plan this year? Man, I really shouldn't have gotten those new winter tires. (sighs) Okay, okay. We got this. But in this episode, we're not going to dwell on the lack of snow. Hell no. We're going to get our heads in the game by looking at the final part of our mini-series on emergency preparedness. This week, we're talking about what to bring to fix the stuff that could break and spoil a perfectly good day of touring, aka how to build out a simple yet effective repair kit to always have in your pack. Then, we're going to talk rescue sleds, and I'm going to take a little field trip down to Durango to chat with my good friend and all-around badass, Hannah Trulaz. Hannah just started an outdoor-focused sewing business called Sew Alpine, where she imagines and creates everything from custom bike frame bags to field notebook covers to rescue sleds. We'll chat about why she makes them, how they can be used, and why you should consider investing in one for your own backcountry travels. It's a busy show, folks, and I'm stoked to be back. So go gather up all your ski straps and start unraveling that rat's nest of P-cord because the snowcast starts now. All right. Well, we're going to start things off by skipping right over the state of the snowpack because frankly, folks, it's depressing. And also not very much has changed since we last spoke. Three to six inches fell on November 24th, resulting in a little bit of wind slab formation in the Alpine, earning our first moderate avalanche hazard of the year in the South San Juan zone, where the La Plata's picked up around six inches. But other than that, Our avalanche hazard ratings here in the North and South San Juan zone have remained low all season thus far. Typical La Nina stuff, folks. Blocking high pressure, storm track to the North, blah, blah, blah. You've heard it before. I came this close to packing up the truck and driving to Jackson for a few measly laps on Teton Pass. But no, my pride as a stubborn San Juan skier kicked in, and I stayed local. But if you're feeling low due to the lack of snow... You're not alone, my friend, and I sincerely hope this will make you feel better. Funk break! Let's start with a quick recap on what we've covered thus far in our series on how to be prepared for emergencies in the backcountry. The whole conversation really began with episode 5 on technology in the backcountry. Long story short there, two-way radios are awesome, and you should probably buy an inReach or something similar. Then in the last episode, we dove into our ethical responsibility to try to self-rescue when possible. And I listed the four things that I think are must-haves for your group to carry with you in the field. Number one, first aid kit. Two, repair kit. Three, a rescue sled. And four, a satellite communication device. 
In the last episode, I also shared with you what I bring in my pared down ski specific first aid kit. And I laid out some general principles that I think should be followed when you're considering what to bring with you in your pack. The most important being, don't bring anything you don't know how to use. Remember that nothing you can physically bring will replace or make up for knowledge, experience, and training. How you were able to respond in an emergency depends on some combination of the skills you have learned, your ability to handle stress, and lastly, the tools you have at your disposal. So with that being said, you can stack the odds in your favor by equipping yourself with the tools necessary to respond to a number of accidents, incidents, mishaps, and bumps and bruises. And while in the last episode we talked about what to bring to repair the humans, in this episode we'll discuss what to bring for when something unexpected and unfortunate happens to your gear. But it should be said that gear often breaks because it is neglected or misused. So first and foremost, make sure you are taking good care of your gear. Inspecting your boots, buckles, bindings, and mounts should be a daily practice during the season. If you make sure that your kit is in tip-top shape, you'll hopefully never need to personally use any of the stuff I'm about to talk about in your repair kit. But if you carry it, you will become far more likely to be a skin track superhero to one of your poor pals who stuck with a torn out binding or a busted tail clip. I'll also say that similar to med kits, there are many schools of thought on what should go into a repair kit. What you put into yours will depend on your know-how and ingenuity, and also your specific gear. For instance, make sure you know what bit you need to tighten any screws on your specific bindings and only bring replacement parts for your specific kit. Also remember to strike a balance between keeping it light and trim while not skimping too much. I'll say more on that soon. Now, lastly, if you're a category type person, you can think about what to bring in terms of the three R's, repair, replace, and redesign. Okay, well, without further ado, here's my list of repair kit contents that live in a small bag in the bottom of my pack on most day tours. I'm going to list these items in order from the most useful and versatile tools to the more specific and even optional items. Some of these things can do a lot of different fixes, whereas other pieces of this kit are just going to be replacement items for things that are hard to fix or improvise in the field. Item number one, paracord. Now the length is up to you, but I usually bring a bundle of at least 30 feet. This can be used for a million things, from lashing a boot to a ski, to creating compression in a splint, to rigging up a tarp. Item number two, ski straps. I've got at least three in my repair kit, all pretty long, and then usually at least one or two more wound around my poles. Again, many potential uses and your only limit is your imagination. So don't scoff when you get hit in the face by a volley strap at the next ski movie premiere. Remember, they're worth their weight in gold. Item number three, tape. Now let's be clear, not all tape is created equal. Some is more sticky, while others is more stretchy and strong. So for those reasons, I bring Gorilla Tape or Tyvek Tape for a quick patch job on soft goods or to hold things together. Well, I also really like to bring electrical tape for winding around a broken pole or for holding tension on a busted boot cuff. Now, I'll make a bold claim and say that plain old duct tape just kind of sucks. And when it's wound around your pole right below your grip, it tends to become super gummy and difficult to unravel when you really need it. Item number four, zip ties. A little redundant, maybe, in combination with the previous items, but unlike those things, zip ties don't really stretch at all, and they can be a cinch to tighten down. I've used dueling zip ties to hold a broken tech toe piece onto a boot, plus they really don't weigh anything. 
Again, with these, the longer and beefier, the better. I'm also going to slide in hose clamps here because similar to zip ties, they are static. And if you get the big ones, they can be clutch for fastening a boot to a ski. Item number five, a multi-tool. Now this doesn't have to be an uber heavy Leatherman, but I have dabbled in the lightweight multi-tools and found that they usually break when you most need them. At a minimum, your multi-tool should include pliers, a knife, and a flathead screwdriver. But the pliers are really the most important component in my opinion. And for that reason, and since I usually bring a separate lightweight ratchet with bits, I'm leaning towards just bringing some lightweight but durable needle nose pliers in my kit for this winter. Item number six, a lightweight driver or ratchet set with multiple bits. Now this is just a tool to tighten loose screws, and ideally you bring the bits that correspond to the screws in your kit. They're mainly just screws on your bindings and boots, with boot buckles being the classic thing to loosen up over time. Bringing extra screws and using Loctite on the threads will help prevent you from losing a buckle. Item number seven, a homemade pole splint. I take an aluminum can and cut out a large rectangle from its side. This plus some electrical tape or ski straps or zip ties can create an excellent splint for a broken pole. All right, so with the items I've listed so far, you can do a whole lot of MacGyvering, and that pretty much covers the repair and redesign categories. But now let's think about the things that are a pain to lose and are kind of hard to improvise in the field. The replacement parts. Item number eight, a spare pole basket. Not life or death, but having a spare can make your day suck a whole lot less. And item number nine, a spare tail clip for your skins. Same deal as with the pole basket. And then we've got some maintenance tools. Items number 10 and 11 are a scraper for clearing glop off the bottom of your skis and a block of glop stopper wax for keeping glop off the bottom of your skis. Depending on the day, these sometimes come out of the kit and go straight into an accessible pocket for on-the-go fixes. Item number 12 is another thing that's not necessarily to repair a broken piece of gear, but is really critical to have with you. I'm talking about having a lighter and some kind of way to make a fire. If you're stuck out overnight, being able to make fire could be the difference between life or death. It's also a great way to send a signal to a rescuing party or a helicopter. And lastly, item number 13, spare AAA batteries. These don't even need to be in your repair kit. In fact, they can live in your car because you're going to double check every beacon in your group at the trailhead and replace any low batteries before you head up the skin track. Well, that's it. This kit will hopefully help you MacGyver a fix to most of the basic gear breaks and help you limp your broken gear back to the trailhead. I like to repurpose an old skin bag or a ski crampon bag to hold all this stuff. And remember, you only need one good repair kit per group. Same goes for a med kit. So coordinate with your partners so you don't carry redundant heavy items into the field and so that the group gear gets divvied up in an equitable fashion. Well, what do you think? Too much stuff? Too little? Let me know. Maybe I forgot something. So hit me up on Instagram or via email at sanwansnowcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, I am super excited to introduce my guest for today's show and the second guest in Snowcast history. Hannah Trulaz is a backcountry skier, rock climber, and mountain biker who switched from living the outdoor education and guiding life 
to starting her own small business that focuses on creating outdoor-specific sewn goods. Now, I know Hannah from way back, from our days together at Colorado College. Shout out to the CC alums out there. But we've both come a long way since then. So without further ado, Hannah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Now, I was wondering if you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and why you started your business, So Alpine. Sure. So I started So Alpine really because I was pretty unhappy in my last job. And when I was thinking about it more, I realized that I loved being outside and being a part of the outdoor industry and all of the like learning that comes from that in personal challenge and growth and all the awesome parts of that. But I was really pretty burnt out on field work and being away from my partner for a long time and getting paid next to nothing and wanted to eventually be able to like settle down a little bit in whatever capacity that would be. So I realized that in order to do that, I probably needed to do it my own way. And I really like to make stuff. I was really getting into sewing and having some success making bike bags and starting to work on rescue sleds and figured at some point that I just needed to take a leap and see how it would go. And we're almost a year out from that and still in business. So fingers crossed, that's a good sign. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like you have a bunch of different products that you imagine and then create and even do custom work for folks, bike frame packs and things of that nature. But I imagine that this time of the year, your most sought after item has got to be the rescue sleds. So I'm curious, in your own words, how exactly would you describe or define a backcountry rescue sled? And what do you see as its purpose as an emergency response tool? Yeah, that's a great question. When I think about it, my original idea of a rescue sled was like a hard-sided toboggan on a ski run somewhere or like stashed in the trees somewhere, maybe outside of the resort. Um, but ultimately, a rescue sled is some kind of tool you can use to slide someone out of the backcountry if they get hurt and they can't get themselves out under their own power. So the models that I make are basically fabric with straps that allows someone to package their patient inside of it and then slide them out. So I don't actually make a hard-sided one. Um, and a lot of the industry, I think, has moved towards these like really compact, flexible fabric designed ones. Yeah. One thing I've noticed over the years is that rescue sleds were these things that mainly guides and avalanche professionals used. And they evolved from being, yeah, that big, heavy, like ski patrol toboggan to these pretty lightweight um, tarp sized packages. And I think when Brooks Range Mountaineering went out of business, it was really only one company up in Calgary, Canada, uh, making these things. Then the COVID pandemic put a lot of people in their homes with plenty of time to think. And it seems like a lot of ingenuitive folks decided to start making sleds. And that's probably when you and I first started sewing them together and uh, exchanging some ideas. So I was just curious, could you talk a little bit more about what inspired you to start making these sleds and ultimately how you came up with your design? Yeah, totally. So... The idea for my first design really came from more of the professional need. Um, I still have a lot of friends who are guides. My husband is a guide, and we're really wrapped into the community here and San Juan Expeditions up in Silverton. And so Jack Klim from SJE um, basically pointed out the need for a really burly sled. A lot of these really lightweight ones would work super well for their intended purpose, which is hopefully staying in your backpack forever and never getting used or getting used once to get someone out really efficiently, but being lightweight enough that you'll take it everywhere. And there's always a trade-off with um, being lightweight and being durable. 
And as we expect, the really lightweight ones tend to shred really quickly. But a lot of avalanche educators, instructors, and guides um, need to use theirs often to teach people how to use them. And so people were buying these pretty expensive sleds that they had to be on a wait list for for a long time, using them a couple times a season and then having them shred or taking them on like an AMGA ski course or advanced ski course and having them rip. So I decided to make one that was a lot more durable and heavier and bulkier, but that was really designed for that professional use and for um, courses in particular, like Abby companion rescue courses or that sort of thing. Um, and then after I made that more durable version, which I called the OG, um, I realized that there was a real demand for the recreational use too. And people ideally don't want to ever use it. So they do want a really lightweight version. And I loved the sled that you were making, Chris, that was super lightweight. Um, and I tried to come up with one that was kind of in the middle that should hold up to a few uses, but be lightweight enough that it can hang out in your pack easily. That's awesome. I think the idea of building two, one that's burly and can be used for practice and modeling and courses, and another that's more for the single use is great. I won't lie, the ones I built, I shredded a bunch of prototypes in the making, and it is a hard balance dragging someone through the woods um, over logs and things like that. Like Fabric really doesn't stand up too well to that abuse. Um, So I agree, it is this balance of making it useful enough in a real emergency that someone could transport a person um, and get them from point A to point B to maybe where a helicopter could pick them up or the SAR team is arriving, Um, but also not having it be so heavy and bulky that we just don't bring it. Um, I'm curious what other uses other than, you know, dragging someone like in a sled kind of setup, what other uses uh, is your tarp ultimately designed for? So my tarp in effect is a big rectangle of fabric with a bunch of straps sewn onto it. And it's designed to be really multifunctional. So you can package a patient kind of in that standard um, setup where you slide them out like a toboggan. Um, you, there are also lots of hand carry straps on there. So you could carry someone like in a litter if needed. Um, and the reality with any rescue like that is it's going to be exhausting and really hard. And you probably need a lot of people to do it well. Um, and then the other uses too are, it can be used as a bivy sack if you needed to spend a night out or if you just wanted to fold it. Um, I can, the way that mine are sewn they're they can be folded hamburger style or hot dog style. So it can be like a one person sleeping setup, or you can, um, huddle under it with one or two buddies. If you're like on top of a ridge and just need a little reprieve from the wind for a minute. And then it also has tie-out points all the way around it, so you could use it as a traditional tarp, like A-frame style, or you could um, dig a big rectangular hole under the snow and use the tarp as the roof, which I loved your Instagram post the other day about that. If you haven't seen it, you should go look. Um, So it can be used basically to keep you sheltered if you need to spend the night out unexpectedly. Um, It can be used for like... Uh, temporary shelter if you just need to get out of the wind and then also as a sled to be carried or slid across the snow. Yeah, that's awesome because as with any gear we bring into the backcountry, if it's multi-use, we're probably a lot more likely to find a way to use it out there. Well, Hannah, I imagine um, there's lots of orders coming in. Uh, That's exciting. Um, So I'm curious what's next for So Alpine and how can folks find and follow you? Well, to be totally honest, it's been a wild ride so far. I do not have a background in business, so I am uh, casually freaking out and making it up as I go. 
Um, but it's been a really awesome learning process so far and really empowering to see like that you can take an idea and make it grow into something bigger. Um, it's really important to me that So Alpine is a really values aligned brand. So I use a lot of recycled materials, recycled threads, and I get everything from U.S. distributors. And my goals for the next couple of years are to move to being like 100% recycled fabric and thread, all U.S. made. So not even just distributors, but also manufacturers all being based in the U.S., um, and then eventually my big goal is to have a shop in Silverton, hopefully employ people and pay people a real living wage with real benefits, um, and have a four day work week, all these like really dreamy ideas that I think are actually doable so that people can have a, a real work life balance and not get burnt out by the things that they're doing just for work. I'm really impressed by your willingness to, uh, yeah, have your values derive your business model. Um, and also you heard it here first. So Alpine, we're coming for you, Silverton. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Hannah, is there anything else you want the uh, listeners to know before we sign off? Uh, sure. If you want to follow along, my Instagram is so underscore Alpine and my website is so Alpine.com. And it is really just a, a one person operation. I've got a couple people helping out here and there, but very small grassroots. So orders do take a little while, but um, they're definitely all on the list and they're all getting done. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for bringing this amazing product into the world of backcountry skiing and riding and folks, listeners out there support a local small lady owned business and check out. So Alpine, you'll be glad you did. Well, thanks Hannah for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. And thanks for doing this awesome podcast. Well, things went a little bit long in this episode, but I think it was worth it. Hopefully you do too. Another big thanks to Hannah for sharing her story and chatting about rescue sleds, and a big thanks to you for listening in. Hey, if you're in the Telluride area, we've got our first backcountry chat of the season happening on December 9th at 6pm at the library. Come hear from our local CAIC forecasters about what they do and the winter to come. And thanks as always to the Telluride Mountain Club and the library for hosting these awesome community events. Hey, if you like the show, make sure you've listened to all the episodes and then give it a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, help spread the word by sharing it with your friends and your touring partners. We're back to weekly shows with new episodes dropping every Wednesday, all winter long. Oh, and when I say we, I really just mean me. Still a one-man operation, but stay tuned, folks. Keep the faith, and until next time, think snow. Snow.